Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to uh, the broadcast today. Listen, if you're interested in living life at its best, you are at the right place because Jesus, he faced death. He became our sin. He went to the cross. He died. He was raised from the dead. He conquered the devil, conquered the grave, conquered death, obtained uh, divine life from God. And he obtained all of that for our benefit. And when we are in Him, when we are believers in Him, then you know what? We get to share in everything that He has. And I'll tell you, uh, what we're talking about this month, about finding divine life, I am telling you, this is all about uh, participating in what Jesus has provided for us. You know, and, and the Bible teaches us that if we really want to understand the love of God, we've got to go to the cross. We've got to look at what Jesus did at the cross. I'm convinced that <clears throat> one of the reasons that so many of these pop theology, almost cult groups, they're, they're, they're Christian, but they're, they're somewhat cult Christians, that minimize the cross and, and make the cross uh, uh, something, well, they just, they just minimize what Jesus did. I don't think they necessarily realize it, but I'm telling you what, that is, that is a demonic, issue because the more we minimize and water down what Jesus did at the cross, then really the less we recognize God's love for us. And remember, love has to do with value. You know, if, if you go out and, and buy a car and you pay $500 for that car and you go pull up in a grocery store parking lot and uh, the parking places are too tight, you know, you don't care. You, you, you only have $500 in that car. You pull up there and you don't, you don't care if you have to get out and squeeze out the door and somebody's going to get in and they're going to bang the side of your $500 car with their door and <clears throat> they scratch it when they put it. That's no big deal to you because it's just a $500 car. Because, and so you got $500 worth of value. And I guarantee you this, you go down here and buy you a Mercedes for about $60,000 and you ain't pulling in no tight parking places. You're going you're gonna to park where it's safe. You're going to treat it differently. You're going to wash it more. You're going to take care of it. Why? Because the value, the price that you paid for it. So when we minimize the value that God has for us, in other words, by dis, kind of discouraging, dismantling, uh, minimizing the price that Jesus paid, then, then really... Uh, it just gives rise to all kinds of bad beliefs about God. And it really destroys your faith because faith works by love. And the more you recognize the value, the love that God has for you, then the easier it is for you to, to, to trust him. And that's what faith is, is simply trusting him. Now, today we're going to be talking about uh, the offense of righteousness. Now, something that I say quite often, and you probably heard me say it a lot, and that is this. Whatever has the greatest potential to offend you is usually the truth that has the greatest potential to set you free. So it's really not just happenstance 
that righteousness is in fact the stumbling stone of the gospel according, according to the word of God. Now, you know, many people talk about Paul being persecuted for his faith and that's, that's true, but the reality of it is Paul was not just persecuted for recognizing Jesus as Savior. You know, there were, there were even a lot of Hebrew groups that could recognize Jesus as Savior. But where, where the problem came, where the rub came, as, as we say, was if you recognize Jesus as your righteousness, because, because uh, uh, that meant that you didn't have to obey all the rules. And so uh, the real reason Paul was persecuted was for preaching Jesus as our righteousness, not just as our salvation. You know, the Judaizers believed that you believe on Jesus to get saved, but you, but you had to basically obey all the, all the law in order to be made righteous. Now keep in mind, and I'm, I'm going to say this to you a lot, anytime you see what seems like Paul or Jesus or anybody else talking negatively about the commandments of the law of Moses, then uh, what you have to realize is, is in the Greek language, the definite article, the, is not there. So it's not talking about the law in the law of Moses. Usually it's just the word law. And it's talking about this realm of legalism. It's talking about the way we approach those commandments, the way we relate to them. And of course, then all of the additional commandments that the that the sages had come up with and written in the Talmud that basically superseded uh, the commandments. So, <clears throat> so uh, when you think about the law, don't think about it the way religious people think about it. Don't think about it like a legalist who says this is your righteousness, but also don't think about it like a worker of iniquity. Iniquity is the rejection of God's commandments. And so, and so we don't want to go to either one of those extremes we want to realize that we are uh, under grace, we're not under, under law, the realm of law, the realm of legalism, and that uh, uh, because we walk in love and we yield to the Spirit of God, then at the end of the day, we obey the commandments, even when we didn't know it was the commandments, because the, the driving force and purpose and intention behind all the commandments was, in fact, uh, that we walk in love one toward another. But Again, those commandments do not make us righteous. Even if we do obey all of them, that does not make us righteous. What makes us righteous is that we are in Jesus. Now, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm, I'm not reading a lot of the verses that I would read. And should you choose, by the way, to, to get the series, Living in Divine Life. It's an eight-message series, and uh, each message is about 50, 45 to 50 minutes and it's packed with not only more scripture, but packed with other functional exercises and things that you can do. And we always make those available because there's a lot of people that say, you know, this is great. I got everything I need from this broadcast. Got it for free. Yay. And I'm glad, you know, but there are a lot of people who say, you know what? I want to go deeper in this. I'm pursuing God in a more serious way. And I want to get, I want to get the uh, message that accompanies this. So, so you can get the message, download it. Uh, which is what I always recommend for people to do. You can download it or you can purchase it through on CD and, uh, and, and dive in deeper and look at all of the scriptures that support all of this because I don't want you to believe anything because I say it. I want you to look at the scripture and you make the decision for yourself. But, you know, in, in Romans 9, the Apostle Paul talks about 
this, this offense of, of Jesus is our righteousness, our faith righteousness. And, uh, and he says, uh, what, shall we, what shall we say then? Uh, and this is, by the way, Romans 9.30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Don't you know that that made the Jews mad? I mean, man, these Jews, they live their life to earn righteousness. But remember, if you're earning it, it's about you. It's not about God. It's not about Jesus. It's not about, it's not about what God has done for you. It's not a gift. It's, it's a payment. And so it says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Now, many times people get stuck right there and they start talking about faith righteousness and they kind of, I don't, they kind of leave Jesus out of faith righteousness because it's like faith righteousness is me believing that I'm righteous. Well, no, that's half of the truth. Faith righteousness is believing that because you are in Jesus, you share in his righteousness. And uh, if you leave that part of it out, then faith righteousness is just terminology. It doesn't mean anything. And it's really not going to be a power that works in your life. It's just going to be a doctrine that you embrace. But he goes on to say, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as if it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And then he quotes uh, what the Old Testament says. It, uh, it says, for it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Now here's what you want to understand. God has always been a faith God. Righteousness has always been a matter of faith. Abraham was not just the father of faith in a general sense of believing in God, but Abraham was really the father of faith righteousness because he believed God and trusted God and God counted him as righteous because he trusted God and trusted what God said about him and trusted God's word. And, and even when he failed, he trusted in God's forgiveness. And, and so it's always been faith. Uh, uh, there's never been a way that anybody's ever been made righteous apart from uh, apart from faith. Now, uh, so Jesus himself is our righteousness. And when we are in him, we have the opportunity to share in his righteousness. Now, one of the things that, that we're kind of brought into today, and, and, and it's really, really uh, uh, sad and disappointing that people go this way. But many people view righteousness just as a position. Now, again, boy, particularly the Greek and the Hebrew both are this way. The Hebrew, which is where you want to look first to understand, to understand these, these terminologies. The Hebrew uh, has some very interesting facts. Number one, so many of these words are continuum in both the Greek and the Hebrew. In other words, there, there's not a one-dimensional uh, definition for some of these words because they represent more. But what's also interesting is in the Hebrew, the root word of every Hebrew word is in fact a verb, which means it, it's all pointing toward application. It's all pointing toward putting it into practice. And so there's no concept of righteousness 
that is only positional, that has nothing to do with, with putting it into practice. And so, so in Jesus, if we believe on Jesus as our righteousness, and it's truly faith righteousness, then we are not just believing that we have a position with God. We are believing that we share in and are committed to the application of righteousness as Jesus taught it, as Jesus modeled it. And it's not the doing it that makes us righteous. It's the being in Christ that makes us righteous. But the reality of it is, if the fruit is not there of, of committing yourself to righteousness, walking in righteousness, then the real truth is the faith is not there. Because faith and obedience, faith and application is, in fact, another continuum. You do and put in practice what you believe. If you're not putting it in practice, you don't believe it. It's just an intellectual concept or an intellectual idea. Now, remember God told, told the children of Israel, and, and it's repeated to us as New Covenant believers, be holy as I am holy. In other words, and, and God even told the people, you know, one of the reasons you got to be holy is because I can't protect you as a nation if you are not. Positional theology is a little more like trying to work magic and trying to work formulas than it is about a relationship and, an, and a life experience and a life journey. Because positional theology would say, okay, if I'm in Jesus, then I am righteous and, and you sort of kind of have this, so everything in my life should automatically work according to God's word. If it doesn't, then, then God's letting me down somehow. Well, <clears throat> but uh, remember, God has called us into a relationship and we are in a world where our biggest concern in this world is not my relationship with God. Uh, I mean, I, that's the most important thing, but my biggest concern, I'm, you know, I'm in, and I'm confident in my relationship with God. I'm confident in what Jesus has done for me. But my big concern is my relationship with other people. Am I walking in love toward other people? You know, uh, 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 Dennis Prager, you know, said this, and I've quoted him uh, many times. You know, he, he points out the fact that in the Ten Commandments, Eight out of the Ten Commandments were all about <clears throat> how to treat one another. Only two of them had to do with how you treat God. And, uh, and then all of the 613 commandments that Moses gave, every one of them fit into the category of the Ten Commandments. In other words, it's not, it's not saying, okay, I gave you ten to start with, but I'm going to give you a whole lot more. No. Every one of those individual commandments kind of showed you what that would look like in application in a, in a civil society, in a society where people were relating to each other. And, and basically, God said, remember, being holy is being uncommon. Don't be like the rest of the world. Don't function from their, from their ideology. Don't function from their philosophies. Don't be like the rest of the world. Be like me. And he gave us his commandments so we would know how to be like him, how to treat one another like he actually treats people. You know, it's always amazing to me, you know, when the, you know, the, Bible, the Bible says, you know, be, be slow, to, uh, uh, slow to wrath, you know, be quick to hear, slow to wrath, slow to speak. And, and, and we'll, we'll say, okay, God wants me to be that way, but he's going to be a different way. No, God, everything God says, I want you to not just do this, but I want you to put this into practice. I want this to be who you are. I want this to be about the beliefs of your heart. And so God said, now, if you do that, 
then I can protect you because number one, if you do that, then you will have a nation that is truly built on justice. Listen, you look around America today, and I'm telling you, there's only one thing wrong with America today. The farther we get from a judicial system, the farther we get from a culture that is based on the word of God, the more destructive and corrupt and vulnerable our nation becomes. Because I'm telling you what, when the morals and ethics of God's word are not guiding a nation, then, then they, are, they are vulnerable to corrupt leaders, they're vulnerable to liars, they're vulnerable to, to uh, 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 crooked politicians. Uh, you can't have civil order in a corrupt society. It's just, it's just that simple. There's no, big, there's no big mystery to it. And it is that corruption from the inside that makes... A nation, and, God, and in this case, you know, God was talking to Israel, but also you have to realize that applies to America, but that also applies to our life individual, individually because Israel was a type of a believer. So he's saying, if you are not walking in love and not yielding to me and not looking at the world the way I'm showing you to look at and understand the world, then the problem is you become vulnerable to your own misdeeds, but you also become vulnerable to the world around you. Well, that's the way it is. We are in Jesus, so we're like the children of Israel who have been, who have been delivered into the promised land. And, and, and so here we are, we're in Jesus. All of the resources of God are available to us. It is all here for us. But if our righteousness is in fact just doctrine or just positional and it doesn't affect who we are, it doesn't affect our morality, it doesn't affect our values, it doesn't affect, you know, it doesn't affect how we treat each other, it doesn't affect how we make decisions, then the truth is we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to outside destruction. So, <clears throat> so we're in Jesus. And we have the power of righteousness and righteousness is a continuum. You know, it's a, it, it is a right standing with God. So we're in right standing with God. It is a position. Thank God we have this position before God, but it is also our beliefs. It's also the way we think. It's also the way we make decisions. It's the way we treat one another. It is the way we live. And if righteousness doesn't get down into the way you live and the way you treat people, then the truth is, it is of no benefit. It's not even really righteousness. It is not righteousness if it is not embraced as a way of life, if it is not, in fact, put into practice. So here we are in Jesus, and it's sort of like the children of Israel being in the land of Canaan. We have the opportunity for the best life of any people anywhere in the world. Everything that God has is available to us. But... If this is, if we don't take on, you know, people will say, well, well Jesus is, is, my, is my righteousness. Well, I'm like, well, okay, does that mean then that you define righteousness the way he does and you choose righteousness the way he did? No, I'm, he's just my righteousness. In other words, and what most people mean when they say that is he, he's, he's going to be righteous so I don't have to be. Uh, no, that's not what it means. I'll hear people quote the scripture says, see, I have the mind of Christ. And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting because of, you know, the last five business deals you got into, uh, you failed and, and uh, most of your relationships are failing and nobody likes you. You're broke all the time and your life is all messed up. And what do you mean you got the mind of Christ? You don't have the mind of Christ if you're not, 
if you don't know his mind and if you're not yielding to his mind. You don't have the righteousness of Christ if you don't know what, that, what righteousness is and you're not yielding to righteousness. It is just information. Now, this gets complex. I'm telling you, there's a reason people stumble over the doctrine of righteousness. Because, okay, then how do I walk in righteousness without becoming a legalist? Well, number one, what do you trust in? You know, I remember Jesus said this one time, and the disciples, man, they got all confused. And if you just read this, if you just read one account of this in one of the gospels, you'll, you'll get confused. You know, there was a rich man came to Jesus, won't know how he could have eternal life. And, and he listed all the good things that he had done. And Jesus, I think, moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, a gift of the Holy Spirit manifests. He gave him a word of knowledge. He said, well, okay, then the only thing you lack is go sell everything you got, give it to the poor. And, and there you are. And uh, boy, he went away sad because he wasn't willing to do that. And the disciples were like, man, alive, who can be saved then? Well, and many people take that scripture and say, well, see, if you're not broke, you can't be godly. If you can't, yeah. As a matter of fact, I remember in the early days of our church, there was an elderly, elderly woman that came to our church that had gotten involved with some, some scam preacher who used that verse to get her to, to give all of her retirement, everything she had, to the church. And, and I'll tell you, she was living in dire poverty, but, but she thought that's what she had to do. One scripture taken out of context. You know, um, and so the disciples said, man, man alive, how, how, how can anybody enter in? And I'm not going to go, man, there's so much teaching there that we go into. But if you read that in one of the other gospels, Jesus points out that the problem was not the riches. It says, how hard is it for those who trust in riches? Well, that's the same way it is with righteousness. The problem is not works. And I'll hear people talk about works, 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 works. And it's like, well, wait a minute. There's good works and there's dead works. And what's interesting about works is this. Good works and dead works are the same behavior. They're just done for different reasons. You know, and good works is the fruit that comes from righteousness. Good works is, is the way you treat people and your generosity and your kindness because you're operating out of love. Dead works are the things that you do because you feel obligated. You're trying to get something from somebody. You're trying to manipulate somebody else. You're trying to earn something from God. You're trying to make it your righteousness. So this is, this is more confusing than most people ever want to consider or give thought to. But I'm telling you what, if you don't settle the issue of righteousness, you, you'll never really experience the life, the divine life that Jesus not only came to give you, but the divine life that if you are in Christ, if you're born again and you have been baptized in the body of Christ, you are surrounded by that divine life. The question though is this, the divine life, you're in Jesus, the divine life is around you, but is the divine life really in you? Well, yeah, Jesus is in me. Oh, okay, but are you yielding to him? Are you following him? Are you walking with him? You know, you remember over in uh, Matthew, is it, I think it's Matthew 11, you know, Jesus says, man, alive. He said, you people, he said, uh, he said, no matter what I do, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, it's sort of like, no, ma no matter what God does, uh, you're not happy. And he says, sort of like, I play you a sad song, you don't cry. I play you a fast song, you don't dance. And he just kind of goes through this. And I like the way the Message Bible says it. When you get on down, I don't know, 28 or somewhere in chapter 11, he says, look, are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you worn out on religion? 
you know, and, and he kind of goes into this thing about, about how stuck and tormented people get. And so he says, come unto me. Come unto me. It's about coming to him. And he says, uh, I will give you rest unto your souls. You know, uh, I, I had a series that was outrageously popular back in the 80s called Restoring the Soul or the Restoration of the Soul. You know, God wants you to restore your soul, not just your spirit. He, he wants you to be born again. He wants you to be made righteous. But He wants to restore your soul. He wants you to have peace in your soul. He wants you to lay down at night and be able to rest. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants your emotions to be healthy and positive and life-giving. So he says, he, says, you know, he says, you know, come unto me. I'll, I'll give you rest unto your soul. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, the concept of a yoke is all about really harmonizing or, or, or getting in step. You know, the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Galatians that if we will walk in the spirit, we, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, you, don't have, you need to know what the lusts of the flesh are. You need to identify them. That's why they're in the Bible. But you don't really have to just fight against them. You need to put your emphasis on walking with the spirit, not so much fighting against the flesh. Now, that concept of walking means to get in step or to harmonize. You know, when you, uh, when you get over into, uh, I believe it's Matthew 18, where it talks about, you know, uh, um, us, us uh, uniting together and believing together for something. That's the concept of symphonizing or harmonizing together. The concept of harmony is all through the Bible, uh, like many things, using many different words. You know, when the Bible talks about being waiting on the Lord, back in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, I think it is, it says, you know, he says, uh, they that wait upon the Lord, they'll renew their strength. Uh, actually, I think in the Hebrew, that's the word exchange their strength. They'll mount up on wings as eagles. Uh, they'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Well, that, that word wait means to wrap around, to become entwined with, or i.e., to harmonize. In the New Testament, we've got the word communion. It talks about the, you know, communing with Christ. Communing with Christ, the word communion in the Greek is a word, it, it's where you share together with somebody else with something that they own, but you have an equal share in it. Well, that's what the Bible means when it says that we uh, are heirs of Jesus and are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. We share in everything he obtained through the death, burial, and resurrection, but it happens through communion. It happens through yoking up. It happens through getting in step. It happens with waiting on. It happens with, in other words, harmonizing. So, so I am in the body of Christ. All that God has is available to me here, and Christ is in me. Now, there's a, these are, this is not just a play on words. There are some things that happen because you're in Christ. There are some things that happen because Christ is in you. Well, Christ in you gives you and me the opportunity to experience the resurrection life, the strength whereby we call it grace, resurrection life, power of the Holy Spirit, a lot of different terminology describing the same thing. But in other words, if I want to, if I want to experience power over sin, I have to harmonize myself with the resurrected Lord Jesus. If I want to conquer sickness and disease, I got to harmonize 
with uh, the resurrected Jesus. If I want to come out of poverty and lack, I've got to harmonize with the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, I'm just left to my own strength. Listen, folks, righteousness, and we may talk some more about this. And in my series, you're going to hear some stuff about righteousness that's going to be so liberating. Friend, you're going to discover that righteousness is the easiest way to live. So righteousness is really just where you harmonize with who Jesus is, and then you have the power to live that and be that. Listen, if you're watching this on YouTube, help me reach other people. Be sure and comment on this, share your testimonies, be sure to like it, share it with your friends, and, and send it to people because people need to hear this message. Be sure and be with me next week. We're going farther than this. I'm telling you, you're going to be so glad you did. And listen, be sure and go to impactministries.com and check out all the resources we've got to invest in your life. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.